0: Well, good morning. Can everybody hear and see me okay? Okay, I'm going to ask, or I have asked God to help me to keep it together this morning so I can present this word this morning to you. Um, I've known that I was going to preach today. By the way, if you're visiting, welcome. I'm the youth pastor and have been for quite some time Pastor Joe is down to my right, your left, who just prayed. His wife is also recovering from a surgery, so continue to pray for her that she would gain strength and mobility and so forth. And anybody else who is going through some type of an infirmity or a healing and needs a healing, that God would do that and be faithful. Amen? This is church, so you can say amen. Amen? Amen. You can say praise the Lord. Lord. You can say "Hallelujah." hallelujah. You can say thank you, Jesus. You can say these things in church and everywhere else for that matter. So this morning, um, I had a message about a month ago, and I contacted my brother-in-law because I knew that he was going to be speaking this morning, but I also knew that he had 50 or 60 games between the two of his boys, and I was hoping because I had a word that maybe he could also use a break. So... I feel like a month ago, God gave me something, and then I feel a week ago that God gave me something different, and then I feel like last Thursday, when he woke me up at 3.30 a.m., he gave me something different, so I wrote out a whole message from 3.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. this past Thursday, then I woke up yesterday, and you guessed it, kind of changed again, and then I woke up this morning, and it was still being tweaked. So I'm hoping and praying, this is what preaching is, is refining and making sure that it is what God wants to say to His people. And it's not about being nervous in front of people, it's about being nervous, making sure that it's what God wants. So there has to be a little bit of nervousness and shakiness and trembling before God to make sure that it's right and that you are responding to His voice. So the message kept changing. This morning is going to be simple. How many of you are thankful for the simplicity that is in the Lord? So the Lord, I'm going I'm to entitle this message, Respond Now. Okay? Remember those words. Respond now. The Lord has a way of placing us in situations that cause us to respond to His calling or at least to give Him our attention. Maybe for some it takes quite a bit more of a serious situation that makes us kind of stop in our tracks and consider our ways and maybe to take inventory of our lives. So in those moments we have choices. We can either run to God and embrace the work that He is doing inside of us Or a lot of times we choose to run from God and continue to attempt to do life in our own strength, within our own abilities, and within our own resources. So life, as you've heard before, isn't really about what happens to us. The secular world will tell you this all the time. It's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens. It's how you react to what happens. So when you choose, you look around the world and you see different people responding in different ways. And a lot of times it causes them to shrivel up and to throw in the towel and to give up on life or on God. Some are on the brink or the threshold of whether or not even believing in God or believing God or believing that God loves them or has a plan for them, believing that God is real. A lot of times bad situations have happened to cause people to not want to believe in God. And sometimes it's not they don't believe in God, it's that we don't like God, or we, it turns to a hatred for God. And God's not nothing but love us, and He does everything the Bible says for our good and for His glory. So, it's not about what happens to us because we are promised trials, we are promised tribulations but it's how we respond to the hand that we are dealt. Amen? So I think I got this, and I was thinking about this yesterday as I was having some coffee, because when you get older, you just have coffee, and you sit and you think about things with coffee. Who likes coffee? Uh, So Abby Williamson posted something on Facebook. Something along the lines of misinterpreting A scripture, 1 Corinthians 10.13, that talks about how God will not let us be tempted beyond what we are able to handle. And in that temptation, He will provide a way out. This scripture, ladies and gentlemen, is about temptation. It's not about trials and hardship and deserts and valleys and situations that we are sometimes given to by God himself. It's about temptation. A lot of people will read it and say, you won't give me anything more than I can handle. That is false. In fact, Christianity is all about God giving us more than we can handle. So that we come to a place Of complete dependency on him. This is Christianity. So that scripture a lot of times will cause people to quit. You said you wouldn't give me anything more than I can handle. He didn't say that. And then when things don't go our way or things get too tough, we throw in the towel. We quit. We don't know if we want to trust God because now we don't trust him, we don't believe him, because He wasn't honest with us. You said you wouldn't give me anything more than I can handle, but that's not it. He's saying, I'm going to provide a way out for you and not give anything more than you can handle in temptation. But with trials and tribulations, Christianity is all about God refining us and putting iron in our souls and making us have some godly character that will match the calling that he's placed on our lives. So that scripture is very much so misinterpreted. So I want you to hear that today. But the message today is called Respond Now. Now we have over in in the Remedy uh, one of our service norms in the youth ministry. We have a few of them. Some are just within the service, um, within the physical property itself, um, relationships. But then there are some spiritual ones. One of the spiritual ones is respond to the word. Now it doesn't matter maybe how you respond as long as you respond. Maybe it's just in your heart as you sit in your pew or your chair or you turn around and kneel and humble yourself before the Lord. Maybe it's in your heart. Maybe it's your hands are up, pledging allegiance or surrendering to the king, everything. Maybe it's encouraging someone else by praying for them. But the bottom line is is that we choose to respond or we can choose to sit. We can choose to have our heart hardened or calloused. We make that decision, which is a beautiful thing because God created us with a free will. If we didn't have free will and he forced us to love him back, he wouldn't know if we actually loved him. So he gives us the choice to love him back. So that love should and could be reciprocated back to Him because the Word says, He loved us first. So listen, I'm going to give you an example. But before I do, I remember in my life being put in certain situations, certain positions where I am now at a crossroads and I need to respond. And and, and God is saying today, respond now. Do it now. The last song we just sang, one of the phrases was, here and now, here and now, do it now Lord. So I remember being a car wreck March 22nd of 2004, 13 years ago. Hitting a stationary Dodge Durango head-on, not head-on, I hit it head-on into its tail end. It was stopped on the interstate. I hit black ice, and I was barreling towards it at 70 miles per hour. I knew I was going to hit it. There wasn't a way out of it unless God teleported me somehow. I knew I was going to hit it. My feet I released from the gas pedal and the brakes, and I let my hands off the wheel, and I honestly said to God, this is it. I'll see you shortly. I thought I was dead. So because I was relaxed when I made the impact, God protected me in that. Because I thought I was dead. God was putting me in a position to respond. He does things in our lives to cause us to respond. And we have moment after moment and choice after choice to respond. So I thought I was absolutely dead. And I got turned around And then I saw a Dodge Dakota barreling at me, doing the same thing I did, getting ready to T-bone me. I'm shaking glass out of my head, and this truck's coming towards me, and I thought, I'm alive, but now I'm dead. (laughs) There's no way. So he pinballs me over the interstate. I'm in a little Honda Civic at the time, and I remember all of the responders that were over top of me on the, 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 the medical board and the neck brace and I'm kind of looking around and, and I'm pulling glass out of my hair and head and they're brushing it off and like I can't at the moment because I'm in shock probably can't feel any injuries like this is a miracle and everybody around me was saying where's the, the person that was in the little Honda Civic and everyone was saying it's it, this, this guy and everybody I could hear them saying what? He's alive? His car smashed from every way. And they understood the speed and the velocity and the momentum and all these things. And I thought, okay. So I'm lying there expecting to respond. So I went to the hospital. I was cleared. No broken bones, thank God. No stitches, just some glass in my hair and head a little bit here and there. So I go home, and it was my second or third year of teaching. I was off for a week, needless to say. It was 7 5 in the morning, 15 degrees. It was a bad day. Was it? So I get to my couch, and I lay there for a week. I was hurting for a week. Couldn't move for a week. So in that week... I had the choice to respond. Why? Or, okay, God, you have my attention now. I had some thinking and some things and some outlooks and maybe a, more of a hard or harsh presentation for people. God needed my attention. He got it, and I responded to that. See, God has a way of putting us in situations that we shouldn't kick against because He's working in us to do great things. So a very, very practical, almost silly, simple example. I was playing softball. Monday, May 8th, I was playing out of my mind. Didn't even realize it until I went to the statistician and said, How am I doing? I'm not joking. There's Aaron here today. I mean, that night we had a quadruple header. We had four games. I was like 16 for 17. It was insane. Something like that. A three-run jack out of the park. I mean, I'm like, and then I, I'm pitching, and and a dude line drives me right here, straight on, no ricochet, just perf right here. And I'm just like, ah, ah, I just like kept going and I didn't care. And I, I mean, but the next day, the next two days, there was a mark like huge on my bicep, my chest. And I'm going, don't touch me. But, but in the moment, I felt invincible. And I'm like, what do we want to do? People are leaving for the last three, two games. It's getting late. Put King at third base. I'm making outs. I'm stopping balls. And I, I mean, it was a good night. But hold on. I mean, I had some good stats that night. Yeah. So listen. You know, uh, we'll come back to that. We're gonna, we'll take a little break from that shortly, but I'll come right back to it. I'm going to be 39 years old this year. been in this church since I was 16. Everything significant that has happened in my life I, uh, the church family has been a part of probably since I was 16 years old. Now, this is going somewhere, so listen. I, I'm thinking this whole time, like yeah, I'm in shape. I'm, I'm a strong dude. I am quick like a gazelle, right? <laughs> I'm 39. I st- I'm still okay. I still got it, right? come on, dudes. Maybe some of you have come to your senses. I don't know. But it's a little difficult. I mean, just to add a little humor to it, I remember running into to Arnold Schwarzenegger at the Arnold Classic. I went up to see uh, the archers from Maysville. Like, so, I, so I saw Arnold, and I go to the door to cut him off, just say, what's up? I'm, I kind of want to say, like, how you doing? Or... <laughs> Or I, I want to go up to him and say, I played you in a, uh, a dinner theater, or, you know, me and you, like, yeah, like, did you see me over there? Like, I, I it was, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason, because us dudes can kind of think that we're pretty cool, right? Nothing can stop us. Mm. So I went over, and I knew that I could only grab a picture or say hello, and not to it both, because he was with bodyguards, and. And I went over, and I had my phone like walking over, and nobody was um, over there at the door. They didn't know where he was going to go out. So I was over at the door, and I was the first one. And I had my phone like this, and he was coming kind of quick. and So I was getting ready to snap a picture, and he's like walking right here. And I'm like, I take the picture, and he looks at me. I'm talking like this. Did you see the picture I put up a a while ago? I mean, he like brushes shoulders with me and walks by me. And he looks at me, and all he said was, excuse me. It was awesome. It was cool. And I'm like, I met Arnold. Really cool. We're tough, right? So it's kind of funny because us guys, I'm thinking that I should be able to do whatever I want. I should be able to enjoy life and, and do things with my, my physical body to enjoy life. And I know this is a simple example, but, you know, it's kind of hard when you're around young people all the time in the youth ministry and in school, on the ski slopes and out at the football field. and take, ra- Race us, Mr. King. Do that jump, Mr. King. Go ahead. I'm like, I'd better... Okay. <laughs> and I do it. So I should be able to do whatever I want and do these things. And I race them, and I've, I think I've beaten all the kids that I've raced. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Ha-ha! <laughs> all right, so... These things that I enjoy, like skiing, working out, plyometrics, interval training, biking, swimming, basketball, golf, who would have thought that like a swing in golf, like I'm like, is anyone else's ribs hurt? I don't get it. I feel like sometimes after 18 holes, I have a dislocated right rib. Does anyone else deal with this? How are your knees, James? I mean, how are your quads from skiing, Dustin? I mean, it's it, it stinks. Amen. So I feel like I, I can I want to do these things. I walk by Bob, which is a martial arts dummy in the basement. And I'm like, what was that, Bob? <laughs> and then I just put a beat down on him. All the time, a lot. Jen he probably hears it upstairs. But I, I look, looking at me. See, because I can get away with beating up Bob, right? So he gets like 30 different strikes on an every other day basis, and it, it helps me. So I should be able to do these things. But I'm telling you right now, it is not the same as it used to be. Can I get an amen? It's not like it used to be. Um, we have to know when to quit. We have to know when to stop. We have to know when to go easier or to limit ourselves. So my dad always told me growing up, "Boy, you're going to feel that later." I'm like, "It's fine. Working, construction, jumping off of roof. I mean, I mean, when you're young, you're limber, right? It's fine. He goes, I'm not talking about feeling it tomorrow or tonight. I'm talking about like 10, 20, 30 years down the road. You're going to feel that. He was right. Do you see the spiritual parallel? So how many of you know that you're never too old to be in trouble by your mom? Come on, seriously. This is great. My mom had a way of keeping me humble, keeping me dependent on God. It was hilarious. She didn't even know it. It was just the way she was. But we kind of joke about it now. She, she would write me cards, and she would say certain things in these cards, whether it was a birthday, an anniversary, whatever. A couple of examples of these cards. Dear Adam, happy birthday You're such an awesome son. We're so proud of who you've become. But just remember to continue to honor God or he will bring you down. (laughs) Now this might be slightly, this, is that a good mom or what? Now listen. And all the moms said amen. Yeah. So listen. This might be slightly exaggerated, but there are some that are not. I'm telling you. Couple, maybe slightly, but I remember this one. Adam, you've had such a great football season, but always know that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> Come on. That would keep me humble. That would keep me in a place where I needed to be dependent and respond to the Lord. Right? Yeah. She had this way of doing her mom thing, but always had a reality check. This might be a little exaggerated, but this is how I remember it. Happy anniversary! Always love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Or you will be thrown into a lake of fire. (laughs) Love, Mom. These might be slightly exaggerated, but I remember these cards, and I remember that she had a way of keeping me grounded and rooted in God. And we, always, we laugh about that all the time. And I'm telling you, my wife knows that. And my wife will sometimes say, I'll tell your mom. <laughs> I'll tell her. Like if I, am, if I shouldn't be doing something to hurt, like hurt myself, you're in trouble. I'll tell, I'm going to tell your mom. So, But everyone says you're not 18 anymore. Things just simply don't operate like they used to. You can't do those things anymore. You have to know when to let up or quit don't be a hero now back to the story last Monday night at the softball game after a great week prior I'm up to bat and I hit the ball and I'm running towards first and I felt my left quad tear and I got to the base and I'm like already sweating and starting to feel sick You wouldn't have known it because we're so prideful. But I start pointing to my quad over at the bench area and shaking my head. And now listen. God did this, I believe, for this message. Why? But he did, I'm telling you. So I tore my quadricep, felt the tear on the way to first base, didn't say much, was just pointing to my quad and shaking my head, went to the doctor Tuesday, told it seems deep, need an MRI, checking out whatever um, ligaments and the tissue and and so forth. Could barely stand in a shower Wednesday morning, like I could not even stand, almost fell down a couple of times. Given pain medication, hate pain medication. Told to periodically ice until the MRI, which is this week. I would mind if you prayed that it's completely healed. I asked God to touch it before this service, so it wouldn't affect today. He's doing a good job so far. So, I had to lead meeting after lead a meeting after school that day. So I went to school all day, covered a program that night. So I had like a 13, 14 hour day. I'm throbbing. I'm in front of people. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm in pain. I'm like, how you doing tonight? And, and throbbing, sweating, and then I go to bed Wednesday night, and a fever broke three times before Thursday morning. So I'm like, what is happening? Because the body tries to regulate and repair itself, right? Isn't it called like homeostasis, trying to regulate and equalize everything in your body? And So I'm thinking the whole time, like seriously, this is stupid. This is absolutely stupid, all because of running to first base. However, I knew in my head that it was building up from about two weeks prior, from a youth camping trip, from the softball the week before, from working out, from not taking it easy, from not resting, didn't listen, didn't respond. I know this is a silly example, but I didn't respond. Your body tries to tell you things, and we have a choice here. Probably should have taken it easy. It's a warning light. Everything is coming to a culminating point where we can choose to respond. Think spiritually. Not knowing when to quit, or rather maybe knowing when to quit, but continuing to engage. But if this behavior continues, this will happen. You never really look into the future. I remember the commercial growing up. No one ever says, I want to be a junkie when I grow up. The more you know, remember that, those commercials on Saturday mornings when Saturday mornings were decent? And they always had good messages and they would remind you like, if you do this now on down the road, this is what your life is going to look like. So he's constantly giving us moments where we can respond. He wants to humble us. He wants to... For us to depend on Him, He wants us to be vulnerable to the Spirit of God to work on and in us, to be transparent, to be honest with people, to be authentic in our testimony and in our story. That's what gives people hope. To say, if God did it for me, He can do it for you. But it's free will, it's a choice to what to respond. God will cause things to happen in our lives periodically to remind us that it isn't of ourselves, but only by the grace of God, that we're still here, we're still alive, we're saved, we're in our right minds. And he also does this for the benefit of those around us. So the message this morning is, respond now. In Luke 8, I'm going to have screens up. You can take pictures of them, you can write down notes. I'm doing it a little differently because there's going to be a lot of scripture, so I just made some notes in these chapters. So you can go ahead with that first screen. First screen is from Luke 8 where Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. Now, you might be able to relate to a couple of these things. So this dude lived in the tombs. It was a representation of death and decay. He lived inside a grave place. He had issues for a long time in his life, just like some of us do. Things we can't get over. He was in bondage for a long time, so much so he was such a threat. He would go so crazy that he had to be under guard and he had to be in chains because he was so tormented, maybe by his past. However, his demonic, schizophrenic self recognized Jesus and he ran to him. He responded to this man that was walking the hills and getting in and out of boats and going past them and from sea to sea. Feeding people, healing people, delivering people. And he recognized this man. And he went to him. Jesus asked his name. He said legion, which means a thousand, thousands. He had multiple issues, in other words. Just like some of us, we're bitter. We haven't forgiven someone. We're broken from a relationship. We are addicted. We don't trust this person. We're worried about our job, and worry, doubt, and fear plagues our minds. We have cancer. We don't know when we're going to see the next day. So this man had multiple problems. But the people around him witnessed a change once he responded and had an encounter with Jesus. And then they looked at him, and they saw him in a change of clothes and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. A complete transformation because he responded. Jesus told him to tell others what he had did for him. Now this is weird, and I always think about this. Jesus a lot of times would tell people not to tell people. But in other cases, he would tell people, he would say, tell others what the Lord has done for you this day. And if you look in context, a lot of the places where he's telling others to tell people is out on the countryside, where there's not as many people. But when he was in the city and the population was dense, the word got around more quickly and it spread more quickly. And he would say, don't tell anyone for a couple of different reasons, maybe The process to the cross would have been sped up. It would have shortened his ministry if they would have heard of this guy that was claiming to be the Son of God or doing these amazing things in God's name. And he also didn't want people just responding to the miracles because the most amazing miracle is the miracle of the changing and the transformation of the heart. And God didn't want to be followed just for miracles and to be fed and to be healed. In Mark 2, Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. This is kind of different. Jesus was preaching inside a house to a large overflowing crowd. For men, not the paralytic. For men actually knew that Jesus was around, so they put him on a mat or a carrier, and there wasn't a way in, so they take him up to the roof, and the Bible actually says they start digging a hole in the roof, digging through, back then, mud and clay and rock and stubble and hay and stone and thick pitch, digging, adamant to get to Jesus, because they knew what was going on, and that this guy had power. So for the sake of their friend, they made this attempt to get him in through the roof, to lower him down through the hole, and to lay him in front of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralytic, the faith of these four who were adamant about getting their friend who needed a touch to Jesus. So he saw their faith and forgave this man who they brought, forgave his sins. So Jesus started to see the thoughts because he's God. He started to look into the hearts and the minds of the people in the room. They started to judge what was going on. They started to think not so great thoughts. Who is this man that he has the authority to forgive sins? The man's sins were forgiven first. And then his body was completely restored. So the argument was, who do you think you are to forgive sins? Which is easier, to say get up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? Getting up and walking is a temporary thing. It's not deep. It's not internal. But he said your sins are forgiven. He spoke to this man who was brought by his friends. Your sins are forgiven. It's time for a new beginning. Can you praise God when your sins are forgiven? You're on your way to heaven, but still in your current state of not being healed, not having a prayer answered. So Jesus did this, but then he's like, okay, but I'm showing you the importance and the priority here. Your sins are forgiven. People start to question him. Then he says, get up and walk. And he gets up, already having his sins forgiven, and he gets up and he walks. And he leaves. He responded. He, I don't even know if he was saying, guys, get me to Jesus. His four friends were concerned about him. It sounds like an old-fashioned 1995 bum rush to the altar. I don't know what this guy wanted, but his four friends knew something that maybe he didn't know. So they take him, and because of their faith, he heals their friend. I hope you're getting this. And he responded. He responded now in that moment. If you want to take notes, write down Luke 8. Jesus raises raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. So this guy named Jairus found Jesus and told him his little girl, his only daughter, as a matter of fact, was at the house dying. So Jesus started on the way, but on the way to help this situation, Jesus started on the way, but he was grabbed by another woman who in and of herself was responding to this man who had power walking through the crowd who she knew could fix and help and mend and heal and restore her situation. So he was grabbed by this woman. She had a blood disease for 12 years that no doctor could remedy. In other words, she might have been saying, I I know you're busy. I know you're on the way, maybe busy helping someone else, but I need help too. And I believe you and I believe in you and I know that you can help me and them. So even if it's just the hem of your garment, Lord, I just need a small touch, and I know and I have faith that it will be enough. So of course she grabs the hem of his garment, and her blood issue that she had been dealing with for 12 years was vanquished, vanished, gone, dealt with, made whole, made clean. In other words, if you are holding on to the past and saying that God wouldn't accept me because of my past, he will. He does. He will forgive. He will give a brand new start. He will make clean. He will restore you. He will give you a new beginning. He will wipe away thoughts and accusations in your head from the enemy. He can cause people that don't believe in God or don't practice a relationship with Him to believe, to have hope, and to respond now to what God is wanting and calling because our whole life is filled as you can look back on your own timeline of God trying to get your attention. I should have responded then. I should have responded then. I should have responded then. And if I did, this would have changed. If I did, this would have changed. But God is saying today, respond now. Respond now. Jesus felt power leave his body and perceived that she had faith, healed her, And then gave her peace to go on her way. Meanwhile, report comes to Jesus as he's continuously on the way to Jairus' daughter's house. And a little girl that he was headed to see is now dead. The report comes back. She's dead. Implying that he's too late and don't even bother with it. Don't even bother with my situation, Lord. It's too late. It's too late. For my daughter to be healed, it's too late for my marriage to be restored. It's too late. It's too late. Jesus tells Jarius to not be afraid, but to only believe. Jesus made this setting, listen, more comfortable. You can look this up in Luke 8. He made it more comfortable and intimate by only letting the mother and the father and the three disciples inside in this moment. It was more of a private setting for them. Working with them personally, that's what God will do is He will take you away personally. He will talk to you in your bed, at home, alone, before you sleep. Maybe you can't sleep because God is speaking into your heart. He wants to get you away and talk to you personally. He doesn't want to make a spectacle of you. He doesn't want to maybe call you down front and say, tell every sin to the congregation. I know that in some cases He has, but it's gotten to a culminating point where people refuse to respond, refuse to respond, refuse to respond. God wants you. He loves you. Everything He does is meant for our good. So Jesus made this setting more comfortable for the family. See, but before He goes in, He tells the masses that are gathered around the house. Before he goes in, he says, this little girl that you have declared dead, she's not. She's only sleeping. They all laughed at him, knowing she was dead. She had no breath. She had no pulse. She had nothing. So Jesus, Jesus took the little girl by the hand and told her to arise. Listen to this. This proves she was dead. Her spirit returned to her. She stood up and her parents were made to get her something to eat. He engages people in the process. I'm not just going to heal you. Now I need someone to hold you accountable to remain in the faith. I need you to be fed, not just with physical food, but with spiritual food. I've done this for you, for your soul, and for my glory, but now you need to feed on the word of God. And for those who witnessed it, didn't speak a word. That's what Jesus told them. The three, the parents, they said, don't tell anyone this. And again, because he was in the city and there was a lot of people, he was looking into the motivation of people and why people would come to him because he was the son of God and their sins could be forgiven or because of the wonders and signs and miracles. And he knew the real miracle was the changing of the heart. Band, if you could make your way up this morning, I still have a little bit, but I want you to be up here. In La- or John 11, the story of Lazarus. You can take a picture or put a note, John 11. Jesus told the people, Lazarus is dead. Jesus claims that he said back to them, this isn't the end, and he was dead. This isn't the end. God will be glorified in this. You'll see. See, Jesus is sad. The shortest verse in the Bible was John eleven thirty five. 35. It says Jesus wept. He was sad for a couple of reasons. He was sad because his friend was dead, but he was also sad because of everybody else's unbelief. And they didn't believe that he had the power to change this situation. So he's sad for a couple of reasons. So Jesus asks them where he laid him. As if Jesus didn't know that. Jesus was engaging people. Jesus puts people in the middle of miracles. He did it when he fed the 5,000 plus women and children. He does it in all these situations. Jesus uses people. He engages them in these great hands-on lessons. How many know in school that when you are hearing or seeing, it can be effective if you are an audible learner or a visual learner? But see, hands-on demonstrations and getting your hands in there and building something and problem solving and constructing something, those are things typically you don't forget. My students would always tell me from my 12 years of teaching, they remember all these things because we did them. Does that make sense? So I think Jesus knew that. He was the great teacher. So he engages them in hands-on learning. So he's saying, show me where he's laid. Like Jesus didn't know that. He's trying to get them to learn a lesson here as well. Jesus asks them to move the stone that's in front of the tomb or the cave. He could have moved it. He could have just went like this and it would have moved. He could have just flared a nostril. He could have just fought it and it would have moved. He could have used the force and went and moved it. He could have done it. But again, He asks them to move it. He engages them in the miracle. They choose whether or not they respond. So by doing that, it shows they have a little bit of faith, like he's up to something. God's doing something. You guys can relax for just a minute. There's one more story after this. So listen, Lazarus at this point stinks. He smells, which means your situation has death written all over it, has decay written all over it. There's no hope. He's dead. Not only dead, he's been dead for four days. How long has your situation been dead and in the grave and you buried it? And you've no longer given it thought because you think your time is past? See, Jesus at that point consults with the Father to convey the motive here. God, I'm doing this for your glory and so that the people around will believe. Of course, God knew his motive. Every motive Jesus had was perfect. So Jesus loudly calls Lazarus out of the grave. Loudly calls him. You got to remember, caves and tombs, excuse me, tombs. Back then, they had steps to go down in them. They were huge. Most, most of the time, a cave. People would use them to hide. So he's down in a tomb. See, so he's got to say, Lazarus. Echoes all over on the caves. It echoes and bounces everywhere. Goes down the steps. Eventually has to get through the linen wrapped around his eyes and head and wrapped like a mummy. Gets into his ears and Lazarus hears it. Do you hear him today? Can you respond today? Will you have faith today? So he calls out to Lazarus and he calls him by name because you and I both know if he would have just said, come forth every person in history that had ever died had to have come forth because they would have had to obey his voice so he had to specify who he wanted to come forth the dead man the dead man came out the dead man came out wrapped in linen with cloth around his face so jesus says this jesus again engages the family And the people, Jesus asks them to remove his grave clothes. By this time, they're probably like, oh, yeah, 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 remove it, remove it, take it off. They couldn't get it off fast enough. So any grip of death or decay that was on his life is now canceled. Anything from his past that defined him is now being replaced with grace and mercy and a robe of righteousness and a new beginning. If you are wrapped in something that defines you, it's time to take off the grave clothes. Jesus places us in the middle of the miracle. We remember high levels of engagement. God wants you to respond now. Lazarus was humble and knew he couldn't do this on his own, but God could, and as soon as he heard his voice, he had to obey his voice. I have one more story, and we'll go into the order call. Many of you remember me posting a lot on Facebook about my friend Jeff, who was in a skiing accident on February 4th of this year out in Lake Tahoe. He was with his brother. He was with his wife. They had gotten away for like the first time in three years to have a family vacation. His three children were at home in the Pittsburgh area. His mom was on the other side of the United States, his parents. And I want to read the final story to you. Okay? Now, This was six days after the accident, okay? So he was unconscious completely for two or three weeks. So this was six days after the accident. And I want to read you this because I had an opportunity to call on that Friday night, February 10th. I called his wife who was by his side. It was just him and her. She had her phone. And I want to read this to you even though some of you have heard it or have read it, some of you that are visiting, I pray that this gives you hope and I pray that this boosts your faith and causes you to respond now. So we have all these stories. This is a good story. I say this to to his wife or to um, the people that I'm sending this to after the fact. I say, what's up, everyone? I had an opportunity to speak into Jeff's ear while Rachel, his wife, listened as well. This was last night sometime between 10 and 11 p.m. our time, so between 7 and 8 p.m. their time, for about 45 minutes. I also read this to my buddy Jeff uh, last Saturday while we were sitting outside of a Starbucks in Canal Winchester. So I captured this and I made a few edits so it makes sense to the reader. I hope you're encouraged by this as I spoke to him as a dear friend and pastor. Before I began, I asked Rachel if we would be uninterrupted for several minutes, and she assured me of this. Most importantly, I asked if Jeff had been able to respond to verbal commands at all, like squeeze a hand or anything, and she said no. He hasn't been able to respond to verbal commands, so remember that. As Rachel listened in and held the phone to her beloved's ear, this is what the Lord gave me to say to Jeff. Jeffrey Todd Smith It's Adam David King. It's been a minute, brother. I just got back from a Valentine's dinner and dancing with my bride. Maybe you and Rachel could come with us next year. We need to hang out soon and catch up on everything. I would like to talk to you for a little bit as a friend, and you'll probably hear the pastor's side as well. You have so many people praying for you and supporting you and your family in this fight to restore you to full strength and health. We've been praying and storming heaven on your behalf since the moment we were made aware of the incident. I had the opportunity to pray with your, your mom, your wife, and several 1997 graduates who are all concerned and praying as well. You've caused lots of people around the nation to reconnect with each other as they pray for you. In fact, you will be absolutely overwhelmed with the prayers and support you've had when you find out I found out early Sunday morning from your mom just before I got in the shower to get ready for church. I prayed and I cried out for you in the shower for God to show himself strong in this situation and to move mountains for you, brother. Although this appears to be a horrible tragedy, I refuse to walk by what my eyes see and what my ears hear, but will rather trust by faith that there is a much deeper work going on amongst friends, family, and your heart as you lay here fighting for new life to be given by the power, strength, and mercy of Almighty God. A couple of stories in the Bible that are worth referencing are when this guy named Jairus thought his little girl was dead, but Jesus assured him she was just asleep and that there was new life inside of her being quickened in the midst of what appeared to be a hopeless situation. And at the sound of Jesus' voice, she responded and woke up. Likewise, Lazarus actually was dead, so much so that he had been deceased for four days, and the Bible says he stunk pretty bad, was deep in a tomb, and was wrapped up in his grave clothes. That is, until Lazarus heard the voice of all of the ages, Jesus, speak life into his body, commanding him to come forth out of the grave in which he did. I'm telling you this because I believe that Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. He holds the galaxies in the palms of His hands. Listen, everyone. He breathes out stars and knows them all by name. And the Bible says that not one is missing. But at the same time knows the intricacies of your heart and the number of hairs on your head. I believe he can heal and restore every cell, fiber, piece of tissue, every nerve ending to full functionality and purpose and even better than before. You have so many who are standing in the gap for you and your family. Being in the ministry, I've had several opportunities to be beside multiple of hospital beds and I'm confident by the Spirit of God that you can hear me now and understand me. I'm not sure what you've seen or heard in the time you've been laying here, but know that Jesus wants your whole heart, your whole life, as well as the hearts of your wife and children. This is your opportunity for a new beginning and to be the spiritual leader of your wife and of your children. He loves you so much, and you can have an encounter with Him even now in your current state. If you're experiencing any of this, respond now. Give every. His wife, right now in the middle of that, said, He's moving his head. Adam, he's moving his head. And I said, Give everything to him right now. Of course, I'm not keeping it together either. Ask for forgiveness. Turn from sin. Ask him to come into your heart, wash you clean, make him Lord of everything. It's that simple. He wants you, this is the gospel in an altar call now. He wants you to be completely dependent on him in everything you do. I've asked Rachel what she's needed. Her response is we need God more than anything else. And she's right. We all do. He loves you so much, and everything happens for a reason. I know you believe that. I would do anything to help you, but God has already paid the ultimate price by sending His Son to die for us so that we could reign with Him for eternity. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to let you rest. Rachel, I'm going to pray now. Father, we thank You that You are sovereign and all-knowing. Nothing catches You by surprise or off guard. You knew exactly what was going to happen and that my brother in these circumstances, in this exact moment, I pray that you would provide Rachel, his children, Jim, Tony, Ryan and the rest of his family a peace that passes all understanding, perfect strength and weakness, sufficient grace, comfort in the midnight hour and restful sleep. Father, we ask that you give every doctor, every nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, and anyone else aiding in this process discernment, wisdom, and knowledge with helping Jeff recover. I now pray that you would reveal yourself to Jeff even as he lays here in this bed. Make yourself known to him. Show him your love, mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness, and healing power. Touch his body from his head to his feet every nerve, every fiber, cell, and molecule of his being that would all be under the subjection of the healing power of Almighty God. In this moment, let him choose to make his heart right with you and forever glorify your name for the miracle you are about to do. Father, we love you. We will serve and honor you for eternity. God, I love my friend Jeff. And I'm asking you to move now in this situation in Jesus' name. Amen. I continue on. I'm almost done. Wow. Well, after this, Rachel and I spoke for quite some time. I shared parts of my testimony with her. She was being very sincere and asking questions about my life, faith, and God. I later texted her and said, I was just thinking before you set the phone to Jeff's ear, I asked you if he has been responding to verbal commands. You said no. When I said something to Jeff about halfway through and then said, respond now, you started yelling, Adam, he's moving his head. He's moving his head. That's powerful, Rachel. God specifically did that for you, Rachel. I hope you feel more encouraged And maybe a little booster shot to your faith. Don't forget to listen to that song. Good night. Bless you. My faith was boosted as well because I specifically asked God before even taking the call to cause Jeff to move when I said the word respond. So that Rachel could be encouraged. I hope this not only encourages you about Jeff, but also maybe in some way helps you in your life or a situation you may be in. God will hear you, respond to you, and help you. I'll keep you posted. And then to hear at 11.15 a.m. the following morning from Rachel and Tony that for the first time he was breathing on his own and had a restful night. God bless you all. Adam. I sent that to about 90 of my 1997 graduates. Ladies and gentlemen, my best friend since I was seven, Jeff. So we don't forget how powerful God is this specific this is hard for me now <laughs> if i wouldn't have told you about the injury there would be no laughing <sighs> this is just what i said to him in his ear with a picture of him and i so he can remember how powerful our lord is bless your brother. Can we take the lights down, please? You can start to play. If you would stand. My friend Jeff and his mom, his whole family, his wife, his children, his relatives, myself, would like to thank you, the church, Today is 107 since his accident. He's making a lot of progress. And they would like to thank you, the church, for continuously praying for him on Wednesday nights, outside of Wednesday nights, because he is a miracle. Amen? And listen. Just like in all these stories in the Bible, God says, I'm going to do this So that others will believe. The altar call this morning is obviously respond now. Respond now. Shake off the grave clothes. If you are struggling with the sickness, surgery after surgery, and you're still looking another surgery in the eye, if your children are wayward, come to this altar now. Make your way up out of the pews now. Say, excuse me, I need to go to the altar now because I know that by my faith, God will intervene in my situation. And for the souls of men and for His glory, He will do it. He will do it. Do you have a hopeless situation my brother hasn't been in me with me in church since my wedding in 1999 youth ministry 18 years later my friend is right here in front of me in church with me if you need a booster shot of faith this morning God you have to help me to believe for somebody else my own life. As this song is sung, please make your way to the altar. God is saying to you, respond now.